Hey, guess what? We did it! Yeah, we did it. We made Keto Fest a reality. Now it's going to happen July 15th and 16th. Come rain, come shine. Everyone who has helped us to get this project over the line is, as far as we're concerned, co-founders of KetoFest. So everyone who contributed at least $25 to the Kickstarter campaign gets a t-shirt. Co-founder is what the t-shirt will say. And attendees who purchase their tickets through the Kickstarter campaign will also get the co-founder t-shirt in their conference bag at the event. You know, we couldn't have done it without your support. KetoFest is going to be a historic event. This is a novel way to do an event like this, and the success of this project will mean that there are more Keto Fests around the world, and probably more other Keto conferences launched using this model. And now that the Kickstarter campaign is over, we'll be transitioning over to an event management site, where people will still be able to buy additional tickets at a slightly higher rate. As always, the latest information on Keto Fest can be found at KetoFest.com. We'll see you there. Booyah! Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet for three years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document not only of my progress through ketosis, but Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. <laughs> no, we're not. We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claim that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we are both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. <laughs> no, it cannot. <laughs> All right, let's start podcast number 64, Fasting for 46 Days with Ron Coleman. Six days. They said it couldn't be done. Impossible. Ron Coleman has done it. He's going to be here in just a few minutes. But first, yeah. Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? Yeah, I got a direct message on the ketogenic forums from a Dr. Buen Hombre, which I guess is Dr. Good Guy. Yeah. So he responded uh, to me and said, hey, everyone, I just want to share this as a half-hearted defense of physicians treating people with type 2 diabetes. Okay. I hear Richard almost every podcast mentioning that with every percent increase in HbA1c, there's an increase in risk for diabetic complications. Mm. And then he states that as physicians – the goal is to only lower blood sugar to an HbA1c of 7 because 
we're concerned for hypoglycemia and right. malpractice lawsuits. Right. Uh, while there may be some truth to the whole story, it's actually much more complicated. And I think it's worth knowing, especially if you're on medications for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. Hmm. He says, the fact of the matter, as most of you intelligent folks in these forums probably know, type 2 diabetes is a disease of hyperinsulinemia or elevated insulin levels. Right. But it's usually treated by physicians as a disease of hyperglycemia, which is elevated blood sugar levels. Right. After metformin, the majority of medications used to treat type 2 diabetes until very recently do so by increasing insulin levels or supplementing insulin directly. Yeah. Uh, and this makes sense if you're treating a disease of too much glucose uh, or hyperglycemia. But it doesn't make sense if you're treating a disease of too much insulin or right. hyperinsulinemia. Um, because of this, when we control blood sugars more tightly with medications that increase insulin, we worsen mortality. And that's the reason why physicians don't try to lower your HbA1c with medications lower than 7 or 8, uh, depending on your age and other medical problems. Uh, it's not so much a fear of hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar, although that is an issue, but it's instead a fear of worsening your overall mortality by increasing the amount of insulin that you've got. Oh, I see. So they don't want to bring it down with insulin. They That's want, right. Yeah. yeah, I got it. And all of their things make you make more insulin or or, um, or other than metformin, which makes your insulin more efficient. Yeah. So um, he said it's, it's not as much a fear of hypoglycemia, although that is an issue, but instead a fear of worsening your overall mortality. Yeah. If you are taking medications other than metformin, especially insulin, you should not be trying to lower your HbA1c lower than 7. Instead, you should be titrating off those medications before lowering your blood sugar further. Yeah. So what he's saying is if you have high blood sugar and you're on medication and you change your diet, as you come in the range of 7 or 8, that's the point where you should start reducing those medications or your doctor should be reducing those medications rather than waiting until you get down to the lower levels. But if you're reducing the medication and not reducing carbohydrates, you're you're going to go in the other direction, right? Well, this is assuming you, you've made a dietary change. So oh, okay. That, that, that's what's driving everything down. So he goes on and says, uh, this is completely different than lowering your blood sugar through a ketogenic diet and or intermittent fasting, which also lowers your insulin levels and therefore will improve your mortality. Right. More more insulin, greater risk of mortality. Yeah. Less insulin, uh, lower risk of mortality. Got it. So once you're off the other diabetic medications, then go hog wild and lower that HbA1c as low as you want. So he's basically saying use seven to eight as a waypoint and at that point, start reducing your medication. And only once you've got all the medication, then really push into the rest of the ketogenic diet. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Buenombre. Uh, we shall see you on the ketogenic forums. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis. Yep. And essentially, that means that you're burning body fat for fuel or dietary fat or both, mm -hmm. and producing ketone bodies, which uh, then travel around your bloodstream and keep your and, brain uh, alive, power your brain and yep. your heart and all sorts of great things, mm -hmm. and uh, has has many health benefits. But to do that, we uh, limit carbohydrates to twenty grams or less per day. Yep. We eat a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams of protein a day for mm -hmm. every kilogram of lean body mass we have. Yep. Works out to about 60 to 120 grams of protein a day yep. for most people. And then we eat fat to satiety. That's right. And what that means is that 
We eat mostly fat with a little protein and stop when we're full. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't be simpler. <laughs> Couldn't be simpler. Replace all your carbs with fat, pretty much. That's it. And we're basically fueling our body on fat. Yeah. And it's either going to be, as we like to say, it's that Krispy Kreme that we ate a decade ago or it's fat on our plate. Yep. So, Richard, how was your week? Yeah, it was a pretty good week, actually. Uh, we just uh, finished Easter. We had family over, uh, and uh, Julie and I were very good, actually. We went out to a restaurant and uh, and managed to make a uh, ketogenic version of their meals, uh, mm. which was good. Um, it's always a nice challenge to, to go to a new restaurant, and uh, especially one that doesn't specifically cater to low-carb people and, yeah. and work out a way to, to turn um, – Something on the menu, ketogenic, as much as you can. Yeah. I did have to ask for a plate of butter, but that, you know that <sighs> that it was very dry meat, you know, dry yeah. lean meat. But they think but, that's good. Yeah, I know they think they're they're, they're feeding us healthy food. Right. Ah, if uh, only they knew. If only they knew. Yeah. So as you probably know, the past couple of weeks, every time we podcast, I've been just about to start a fast tomorrow. Right. And every time <laughs> we get to the recording the next podcast, uh, I didn't get to start that fast. For some reason, I just had a mental block and I just wasn't able to get over the limit because yeah. what was happening was I'd start fasting, I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and eat something forgetting that I was on a fast. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but, uh, hmm. it, you know, it, it was just uh, – there was a mental block that was stopping me. Well, anyway, I found out the other day that um, Brenda's starting a Zorn fast, which is where uh, a lot of people yeah, fast for a weekend yeah. um, uh, together on the forum and they give each other moral support. Right. And that was how I did my first fast and – so I I, 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 I didn't realize it was up, coming up. Mm. Uh, I just saw that they were starting it and I, I jumped in with both feet and said, yep, I'm going to fast as well. So I'm currently about 24 plus 4, 28 hours into my fast. Oh, you're feeling good? Yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm just drinking green tea. Mm. I'm not feeling like food at all, but I'm, I'm feeling great. I love day two of fasting. That day two is like superhero day for me. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm actually going to go cycling tomorrow. We're going into town on the bikes. And then on Sunday, I'm going to go around the lake uh, one and a half times, which is about 50 kilometers. All that's going to be fasted. So awesome. that's going to be awesome. Yeah. So how was your week, Carl? Pretty good. Um, last week, I had a meeting uh, last Saturday of the New London Keto Meetup, which I organized on meetup.com. Yeah. And uh, just a few people came, but we met down at Daddy Jack's. Which is a, oh, a yeah. you know restaurant my band plays at, and yeah. Jack Chaplin. He's also doing the low carb thing, and he's hip to it. And I brought down some uh, pork rinds and Romano cheese to make uh, some keto breadcrumbs, yeah. and they made up some chicken parm for us. That was amazing. Wow! So they're going to be one of the restaurants at Keto Fest, right? Oh yeah, mm. yeah. And I think they'll be doing. Uh, I, I hope they'll be doing the the keto chicken parm because it's amazing. And uh, other than that, um, I fasted for a few days, and I'm on a few days of feasting now. And uh, tonight, having a couple friends over, married couple, old friends, both doing keto, and uh, I'm making fried fish. Nice. Fried cod with the breadcrumbs. Oh, yeah, with the breadcrumbs. Nice. All right. Well, that brings us to a little segment we call... Mail! So what do you got, Carl? All right. Well, I'm going to read one from the newbies getting started section of the ketogenic forums. Mm. And this is by Randy in Kansas. And he says, I'm beginning to think this is impossible for me. 
Ugh. I've been on the keto diet for one day and I'm already overwhelmed. I have two books, Quick and Easy Ketogenic Cooking by Marie Emmerich and The Complete mm-hmm. Ketogenic Diet for Beginners by Amy Ramos. And looking over the meal plans in these books has my head about ready to explode. Ouch. A one-week shopping list for one of the meal plans has me buying 80, yes, 80 different products at the store. Wow. I don't think my bank account can afford this. Oh, no. Plus, I would have to rent a trailer to haul it all home. Dear idea. Many of the recipes have me going to another recipe to make a recipe to put in the previous recipe. Oh, dear. Quick and easy, my foot. <laughs> How on earth are you people doing keto? You people must be superhuman. I'm not a cook. I guess that is a huge problem right from the start. I can cook bacon and eggs, and that's about it. Can you eat bacon and eggs for every meal and stay on keto? Okay, guys, what is the real secret to living with this lifestyle? Hiring someone to do the cooking, right? (laughs) Well, if you felt overwhelmed when you started and worked through it, I would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of great helpful comments and he got the answer that he wanted, but essentially is it doesn't have to be so complicated. And nah. remember, people who write cookbooks, and by the way, Marie Emmerich's cookbooks are wonderful. Yeah. And But I consider those like special occasion dinners, you know, to right. go to that where I, where I really want a lot of ingredients and I want to play with flavors and stuff. Everyday cooking doesn't have to be difficult. Yes, you can eat bacon and eggs every day. Yep. Bacon, eggs, butter. You know, if if I was going to give you a list of foods to buy, it might have 10, 12 things on it. It doesn't have to be as difficult as people make it out to be. Uh, But the thing is that there's a lot of people on this diet who are foodies, who like buttery sauces. and Like complex um, cooking and enjoy cooking. Mm. I, I suspect that cooking is the secret weapon for keto, but yeah. you don't have to be a great cook. You just have to be able to make bacon and eggs, maybe cook a steak. Butter poached burger. Yeah, butter poached burger or uh, make up a stock pot or something like that. Yeah. You don't have to be a fancy cook to be able to to, nope. to do thrive on this diet. Yeah. No. Yeah, so if you're also feeling frustrated about this diet, go check out the ketogenic forum, check out that thread because there's uh, a lot of responses that are – going to be very useful. And yeah, and Randy's response to all of those was, wow, everyone, you blow me away. What super advice. Thanks (laughs) to you all. You're giving me hope again. Keep it simple. I'll keep telling myself that. And uh, (laughs) Randy, we want to know how how it's working out for you next week. We'll check in with you. We sure do. (laughs) So what do you got, Richard? Yeah, so I've got a a message on the ketogenic forum from Andrew Duthie. Yep. Uh, you would know him as Dev Hammer. Yeah. And uh, he's one of our admins, and I don't think we've even mentioned him yet. So this is his first mention on the ketogenic forum. Yeah, we haven't. He's one of my friends from the .NET Rocks. Yeah, and he's been in our admin group, I think, since about October last year. Mm-hmm. And he posted new keto term, finny weight. Ooh. And he says, in honor of the luminaries of the ketogenic world, Dr. Stephen Fenney, and his quote that uh, Richard shared a couple of times, I propose a new term for the keto community. The term is a finny weight. Huh. Your finny weight is the weight that you can get to without too much of a struggle, and when you get there, still have a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've actually got a quote from Dr. Finney when he was in Australia. Carl, why don't you play that for us? Sure thing. I never tell anyone who asks me how much they should weigh. Because I don't know. By experience, I have found that the best, if you want my secret to the right goal, 
because I'm always asked, is it's the weight you can get to without too, too much of a struggle, and when you get there, still have a life. And you have to find that out by yourself with experience. I cannot give you a destination and a GPS coordinates to get there. Yeah, so Andrew goes on and says, uh, every one of us will have our own finny weight and be part of the adventure that is keto is finding out what that is. Who's with me? <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. So before we bring on Ron, I think w there's something that happened in the news this week that we really ought to talk about. Yeah. And this is Friday the 21st when we recorded this. It just happened. The Tim Noakes trial is over. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and this is a witch hunt that's been going on for three plus years. Yeah. Uh, it started over a tweet and uh, it just blew up. Basically what happened, Tim Noakes, as you may know, is a very respected A1 scientist mm. uh, from South Africa. He's an exercise physiologist and also a, an MD, a, a mm -hmm. doctor, and, and, a, and a professor, full professor. And he... Um, uh, he tweets a lot, you know, 80,000 tweets a year or something, yep. ridiculous amount. And and somebody asked him via Twitter, can I eat cauliflower because I'm a bit worried, I'm breastfeeding and I'm a bit worried that my baby will get wind. And uh, he commented, you know, it, it, the baby's just going to be eating milk. The yeah. baby's not going to be eating cauliflower, she'll be fine. Uh, the important thing is to, uh, when you do wean her, to wean her onto a low-carb Diet. That's all he said. Weaner onto a low carb diet. That's it. And uh, the dietitians just freaked out because he's a famous scientist. Hmm. People, the dietitians were, were were understandably upset because they have a lot of um, commercial relationships with uh, Nestle and other companies that produce these products. Yeah. And uh, they took umbrage and they took him to court and they sued him to take his medical license away. Yeah. Now he he's retired a couple of years ago, so. Um, uh, from medical practice, so he didn't really need to fight it, but he did for us, really, yep, to make it, make a stand for every diabetic in the world who has found that they can cure themselves uh, from their progression of their disease by going on a low carb diet. Right, um, and you know, it's it's really uh, for him. His epiphany was was turning around his diabetes it was for me it was for you as well mm -hmm. it's remarkable the the important thing i think here is that if he had lost if they'd backed him down and uh basically he'd lost in court then what's that going to say to other doctors right it's basically going to be a chilling effect it's going to open the door for other lawsuits that will prevent uh, doctors from treating their patients with diet which is ridiculous. I know. We've already spoken with Gary Fetke. He's gone through the same uh, situation. We had there was also a, a doctor in Sweden that had this this the same thing mm -hmm. happen. Uh, Annika Dahlqvist. She was uh, basically uh, taken to task by the Swedish dietitians. Yeah. Um, and she won her case. That was almost a decade ago. And Sweden has flipped the government recommended food pyramid and made it more healthy fats. Yeah, what they've done is they've expanded it so that both ends are options. Yeah. It used to be that only a low-fat diet was an option. That was the standard and anything else was a heresy. Yeah. And what the government of Sweden has said is that you can have a, an entirely healthy, high-fat, low-carb uh, end of the spectrum. And for people who are uh, hyperinsulinemic, that's an entirely appropriate and healthy diet. And for people who are insulin-sensitive, a low fat, high carb diet may mm. be entirely appropriate, right. but it's just a recognition that that you know human beings all react differently, and uh, and if you try and push everybody into a low fat, high carb diet, all of the people who are hyperinsulinemics um, will derange. Yeah, 
So congratulations, Professor Noakes. You beat it. Yes. And uh, congratulations to all of us. It's really a day of victory for everyone. The best coverage of this was for Marika Sporos, yes. who basically had a tweet stream where she basically went th- through the entire history of the uh, of the case. Yeah, um, uh, we could see it happening live on Twitter, uh, 140 characters at a time. Yeah, and the best uh, tweet that I saw in response to this was from Dr. Ted Naiman, who was on our show, one of our guests. Yep, and he said, um, "Thank you, Marika, for covering this so well." Uh, and uh, he said, also, congratulations to Prof Noakes. And in parenthesis afterwards, he said, sigh of relief from all doctors on Twitter. And I think that's yeah. that's the important thing, because if this case had gone ahead and Professor Noakes was found guilty, we would have seen doctors on Twitter not talking about health. And one of the reasons that he won in his position that really was the cornerstone of his defense was... There was no doctor-patient relationship on Twitter. Somebody tweeted, I tweeted back. Yeah. I don't know this person. They don't know me. I've not consulted them. I haven't checked their vital signs. They're not a patient. Yeah, the interesting thing is that the prosecution there tried to have it both ways because a dietitian came in and said, I can't believe you did this. Shocking. You know, I'm going to report you to the to the professional standards body and tried to give her own side to the, of the story to this breastfeeding mother. Now, the interesting yeah. thing is... If that was a doctor-patient relationship, if another doctor comes along and says, no, this doctor's telling you rubbish, you need to come to me, that's considered a breach and she would have been personally liable for losing her own licence. So they they wanted to have it both ways. They wanted for there to be a doctor-patient relationship for the purpose of prosecuting Professor Noakes, but they didn't want a doctor-patient relationship for the purpose of uh, prosecuting this uh, dietitian, Claire. So it's a fascinating. Well, we're going to try to get Professor Noakes on the show to congratulate him personally and uh, let you all have Q&A with him. And if that happens, we'll let you know. Yeah, I I really respect Professor Noakes. I don't want to disturb him in his hour of glory, uh, but he is welcome any time on the show. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Richard. Well, I think it's time to bring our guest today onto the show, Ron Coleman, who we mentioned in a previous mail segment. Mm -hmm. He fasted for 46 days and documented it all on the ketogenic forums. Wow. And he's here to talk about it. Hi, Ron. Hello. How are you today? Feeling fine. Yeah, I'm fasting one day in. <laughs> ah, well, I'm, fe- I'm I'm feasting five or six days in. Oh, good for you. <laughs> oh, wow. So, all right, first the numbers. Okay. 46 days, and how much weight did you lose? Where did you start? Where did you end? I started at 270 pounds. I ended up at uh, 236 or so, so about 34 pounds, nice. 34.6 pounds, I think I figured it out to be. Wow. Pretty spectacular. And how... How did the rest of your numbers look? Well, um, I actually was posting graphs out there on the ketogenic forms. Obviously, I can't show them here. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, but uh, when I looked at my blood glucose and blood ketones on there, they did the typical, you know, swap. You know, ke- glucose was high, ketones were low, and then they mm. swapped, and then they stayed that way to where the ketones were higher than the glucose. And they were almost a straight line the entire time. So I was very, very happy with that. Uh, somebody had mentioned the glucose ketone index, hmm. yeah. uh, where you look at both values as millimolars. And as long as the ketones is higher uh, than the glucose, you have a you know, ratio of less than one. And that's where you want to be for uh, therapeutic 
uh, you know, ketogenesis. Mm. As far as uh, all the different doctors who talk about like uh, using uh, the ketogenic diet for cancer and stuff, they want you to have a GKI of less than one. And mm -hmm. I stayed there for about 40 of the 46 days. How many days did it take you to get to a GKI of one? Uh, well, I can actually look at my numbers on on here if you don't mind, mm, yeah. uh, you know, real quick. Uh, but it was let's see, uh, wow, a little bit longer than I thought. It was day well eight. I hit it nine. I was mm. at one point oh three and ten. Nice. I went below and I stayed there below. I stayed below after that. Wow. Okay. So it took it took me about a week to get down there. And your ketones at their highest were what? Just curious. Well, when I first started, when I uh, the highest I saw was well, actually today was close to that. That was around five or five point two. Huh. Uh, nice. Let's see. The maximum I see, I see a five point four on here was one of the highest that I see. Hmm. Uh, actually, actually, I've been eating since I've been fasting again. I've been eating a lot of fat, and my ketones today were five point two. Wow. So feasting after a fast, ketones get jacked up. Even more. Oh, yeah. Well, it depends on what you eat. I'm not eating very many yeah. carbs. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, as long as I'm eating mostly fat and a bit of protein on there, it seems to be working pretty good. My glucose is back up in the 90 range, whereas it was sitting down, you know, in about the mid to lower 70s, yeah. um, right. you know, on, on average while I was fasting. But now I'm back up in the low 90s for the last couple of days. So tell us what was the impetus for this? I mean, I know we all have motivations that are pretty obvious, but what made you pull the trigger and say, you know what, I'm going to do the longest fast I can possibly do? Well, uh, I actually started this stuff back in 2015 is when I started the diet. Uh, in April of 2015, my doctor told me I was pre-diabetic. I had a A1C of 5.9. And, yeah. you know, as, as a typical male, I'm there like, eh, I can beat this and stuff. No, I'm not. I don't want to, you know, you hear about metformin and all yeah. that other stuff. Let me try diet. Yeah. Sure. So that was, that was in April. So about July, for some reason, I was out on Facebook and I saw this ad for some diet where you could eat, you know, a lot of food and stuff and still lose weight. Yeah. Uh, you know, and stuff. And it was basically a modified ketogenic diet. But you had meal plans to follow and everything else. You know, you eat this and you're eat, still eating five times a day, but it was like, you know, three to four ounces of protein, some extra fat added in, and, you know, maybe like one apple at a meal or something like that. So, you know, it was fairly small portions for five times mm -hmm. a day. Hmm. And so I went on that. Three weeks later, I went in to see my doctor, got the blood test done, and he said, uh, you're no longer pre-diabetic. Uh, you have an A1C of 5.2. Wow. Excellent. And I'm, there, and I'm there like, wow, this stuff works. So yeah, I, yeah. I, stay, I stayed on it. And uh, coming about October, I kind of, my weight, I had lost about 25, 30 pounds, and my weight kind of plateaued. And I wasn't sure what was happening. And so I, I tried to, you know, stick with the diet a little bit more. And, well, you know, more or less, I was trying to stick with the diet. And I still wasn't losing as much weight as I thought. So, you know, I, I remember this word that I had heard when I first was learning about this thing called insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, obviously, that's going to help me along the way. So I looked it up. I went out and Googled it. 
And, you know, lo and behold, uh, you guys mentioned Butter Bob. Yeah. He was one of the first guys that I watched because, hey, he's a, he's a real guy. He's, yep. you know, yep. from Tennessee, a good southerner and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just normal, everyday guy. And he had an incredible story to tell. Yeah. I'm um, there. Oh, well, I can do this. I can eat fat all day long. I can eat protein all day long and lose weight. Right. So right. I, I started on more, you know, closer to a ketogenic diet, but... In some ways, you know, eating too much didn't work for my body. You know, mm-hmm. we're all we're all a little bit different, and yeah. and stuff. And so that's that's kind of how I got started into it. But in, and from there, I had dropped oh maybe another 30, 40, almost fifty pounds in the next year. But I just wasn't moving along really good. So I was always looking for something different to do. Yeah. And, of course, when I discovered YouTube and all the videos out there, of course, I have to go through and listen to Dr. Fung and, and stuff and listen oh, to all yeah. these things about <laughs> fasting and what people are saying and stuff. And it just kind of intrigued me. You know, because really, a, a year ago, when I was first looking at this, when I first watched that thing about Dr. Fung, it's like, wow, that that's really, really sounds interesting. I really like that, but I don't think I could do that. Right. You know, can, can I can I go without eating that long? I mean, I had experienced, you know, intermittent fasting just because I, I wasn't hungry or whatever. But, you know, yeah. for me, it wasn't so much the physical things of being hungry. It was the mental. Yeah, right. You know, I... I'm I'm 62 years old. You know, I've been eating well for 61, you know, 61 years at the time <laughs> and, and stuff. And, and it's like, you know, can I can I get past that that mental part of it? Yeah. So I uh, last August, my wife and I had you know gone on. Uh, we we called it our guilt trip. We have four kids that live in different parts of the country and stuff, mostly <laughs> east east uh, east of the Rockies. Okay. And yeah. we took a ten day trip and we went out driving. We went up to Chicago, visited my mother, went and visited her uh, some of her folks and stuff, and then you know saw all of our kids along the way. Uh, and, and stuff, and it was a guilt trip because we, we made them put up with us for a couple of days. <laughs> yep. And uh, the last three days of that, I had decided, hey, I was going to start. I was going to start a five day fast. I was going to try a five day fast. And here I was, you know, traveling and and stuff. Well, it ended up that we were in the car most of those three days, you know, moving around and stuff. Sure. And it, it's it's just not hard fasting in the car. I gave up right. snacking in the car many years ago. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I just I just went on and, and, and fasted. And it was, you know, whenever we sat down for a meal, I always sat there in the restaurant with my wife and stuff. And we, you know, we sat and we talked. I had my cup of coffee and she had whatever she had. And it was when we got home those last couple of days, you know, I was out there browsing around on, on Facebook and stuff. And of course, everybody always complains about this food porn right. out there. And, and <laughs> sure. I, I started looking at all these things and planning, okay, now what am I going to eat when I finish this? You know, yeah. I wasn't hungry. Again, there was no physical hungry hunger. It's yeah. all that looking at these, you know, nice looking steaks or, or you're looking at uh, somebody did up, uh, you know, uh, chicken parmigiana or something and stuff mm-hmm. all these things oh, yeah. that I, I love and stuff and oh i could have this i could have that and, or just the pictures of bacon yeah and stuff. <laughs> there's like, a lot oh, of that okay so oh yeah. yes a, a whole lot of that matter matter of fact uh, I, I i meant to wear my i have a shirt uh, t-shirt that says bacon and coffee and bacon and bacon and <laughs> I, I meant to wear it but my, my wife spilled something on it so i you know, I, I couldn't wear it today for you guys yeah so i i, I had meant to do that but, uh, you know, so it was, it was finishing up the, the fast. Uh, you know, I had lost a few pounds from, uh, from that. I, I don't have it recorded how many. 
Uh, right. But I, I just gorged myself a couple of days after that, and it's yeah. like, you know what? That's not the really the best way to go about it. But it was yeah. it was one of those mental things. I was trying to get over that, you know, those mental ideas of you know what is this I'm doing and, and stuff, and trying to get past that. It's yeah, it's a real eye opener when you do your first fast, um, realizing that you're disconnecting hunger from appetite you really uh, hunger becomes something that you can just push in, into the back of your head and not think about and for, for me i used to be a smoker and i gave up smoking some 14 and a half years ago um but i was not able to push that i need a cigarette message back to the back of my head until i gave up and then it became you know, easier to do that and uh then you know eventually it became uh, it be- i had control over this this um impulse that was driving me to do something that wasn't good for me right and i find the same thing with hunger uh, and with fasting when you go through your first fast and for me it was like three days um i didn't think i could do it but somebody else on the forum i think it was brenda zorn said i'm going to fast and i thought oh well, i might may as well as well and that became the first of the zorn fast where people get together and all fast around about the same time and it was interesting that at the end of that i re- recognized that hunger was no longer controlling me. I was able to turn it on or or lock it out when I wanted to. Right. Um, and and that first fast, it was it was a it was a watershed. It was a, a an epiphany for me. Yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, the the biggest problems I have are just adjusting to not eating, and it's not hunger. So when you know during your first few days, did you ever have any doubts that you would continue going? Well, when I had thought about this, I, you know, it was kind of like, well, you know, I, I, again, I was still, you know, studying this. I had gone out to Dr. Fung's uh, intensive dietary management website and read his entire blog all about fasting and <laughs> yeah. things like that. Right. So, you know, I knew a lot about it. I had a, a few books, you know, not just his and stuff that I, I went through and I, I, I read. And so I, I really looked at it in depth and looked at all the really ben- the benefits of it. And so when I got into this fast, it was still one of those of, well, I've done, you know, nine days before, uh, mm-hmm. and stuff, but do I really want to, you know, go on beyond that? And right. really in, right. in thinking about it, it's one of those, you know, do I have the mental capacity? Do I have that yearning inside of me, that desire to really push myself past that? And it's, it's, it, it's more like a mental athlete and not necessarily a physical athlete because, you know, you, you don't necessarily come to a physical stopping point. It's just, can you cross that mental barrier? Sure. Yeah. And did you find, did you do any meditation or any kind of exercises to keep you focused? Uh, no, I'm normally a fairly well-focused person. I uh, travel a lot for business. Uh, 2013 was my busiest travel year, and I, I did 170,000 miles domestically. Never, wow. Never, wow. You know, never went over water. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I was on 170 airplanes. Uh, so, you know, through all that, you, you kind of have to get a, a kind of a mental strength about you. I mean, actually, sure. when you're traveling that much, you just get numb. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so I, I would stay home for a week and then travel for three weeks, stay home for a week and travel three weeks. And Ouch. it's like every Sunday or Monday when I left for three weeks of traveling, uh, it, it was one of those things of I just went numb again, went into the zone, and off I went. Right. Uh, my wife used to complain when she would travel with me, even even on personal travel, you know, going through an airport. Her habit is, you know, she walks four steps behind me. 
And, you know, she will not walk next to me in the airport because she wants to know when I make a turn. <laughs> I get it. Because I, I get into I get into airport mode, I get into the groove, yeah. and, and off I go. And, and I still do it to this day. So uh, she uses you as a battering ram then? Uh, pretty much, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I know how to get through crowds and everything else. Yeah. And on yep. occasion, she will grab onto the back of my belt or something just to you know pull, pull, pull her through a bigger crowd or, or whatever. So... Did you have kids at home or was it just you and your wife? How did you adapt to mealtimes and, you know, the social aspects of it? Well, we don't, uh, we didn't have any kids at home. And the first few fasts that I I did, we had some grandchildren who lived in the area. We have four kids. They're in my, my baby's 37. Yeah. Uh, So they're all grown and and out of the house. Uh, but we did have some grandkids who lived here uh, in Jacksonville with us, and they would come over on a regular basis, but that wasn't really a problem. I was normally the cook, so um, I cook, my wife bakes, okay. and so we go through, and uh, I would you know make, make meals and stuff that they liked and stuff like that, and if I was fasting, I would just sit down at the table with them. I find that cooking while fasting is exhilarating. I love it. And, you know, because yeah. you're not hungry and you don't really want to eat, but at the same time, you get the experience of food. Mm. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it's a lot of fun and, and stuff. I, I really didn't complain. I mean, I enjoyed going out. I went on some business trips during this long fast, and I would sit there in a nice steak, uh, steak restaurant with my colleagues, and here they are eating these nice, really thick steaks, or they get a nice, you know, buttery uh, dish or something like that. I'm yeah. looking at that and, you know, thinking about how good that would taste, but I had no desire to say, hey, can I have a bite of that or anything right. like that? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, cooking was still fun. Uh, in matter of fact, the most cooking I did was the last day of the fast because I was preparing things for the next day <laughs> What wow. I wanted. And I actually posted a, a picture of, of two lonely pieces of bacon sitting on some paper towels there. <laughs> uh, and, and the explanation was is somebody had posted a, a, a bacon, blue cheese and walnut uh, dip out there. And, and I made that up. And uh, the bacon that I had was you know, a little bit smaller and stuff. It called for six pieces, so I made up eight pieces. And I ended up with two pieces left over. So I posted this picture of these two lonely strips of bacon sitting there and saying, let's see, it's my last day of fasting. What do I do? And huh. underneath the picture, I said, well, I wrapped them up and put them away for tomorrow. Good on you. <laughs> That's great. That's so cool. Uh, so at the end of the fast, you fasted for 46 days. At the end of that, or 46 and a half days, at the end of that, how did you plan reintroduction of food? Well, again, I, I went out and I read a lot of things on the forums. I, I looked at a lot of different things. Uh, uh, I listened to the, the Fasting Talk podcast. It mm-hmm. came yeah. out in January, so that was very mm-hmm. t- uh, timely for me. Uh, sure. I just listened to a lot of different people's ideas of how do you start it up. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the uh, Facebook groups that I still post on, uh, there was a holistic pa- uh, practitioner out there who was making suggestions about after a long fast, what kind of things do you have to do to help build up the bacteria in your mi- microbiome right. and so on and so forth. Right. So I had a lot of people from a lot of different places. And, and then, of course, I'm sitting here listening to Carl, and Carl's talking about how <laughs> he's been you know, feasting and fasting and how he loves macadamia nuts and how <laughs> yeah. he eats, you know, Nine, nine ounces of those things, and, <laughs> and you know, macadamia nuts is the reason I went on this fast because oh, yeah, I right. gained about fifteen pounds since Christmas. Sneaky devils. 
Oh yes, oh yes. So, uh, but what I heard is that you know, well, you know, you start out. The first thing you do when you're coming off the fast is you want to eat something small. Yeah. You know, just put something in your stomach, get things going. And mm. so, you know, and from other things I've heard, it's better to do it on fatty foods because yep. fatty foods don't have as much of a impact on your system. I mean, I can imagine that uh, having something with high fiber or something would really you know tear up your system after it hasn't been running yeah. for a while. Uh, and so I, I went through and I, I decided, okay, I'm going to have, you know, one ounce of macadamia nuts, high in fat, few mm-hmm. carbs, and I'm going to have some olives, you know, very high in fat and stuff Great. like that. And I like both. I even went mm. out and got some nice, you know, seasoned olives and stuff, stuff right. with garlic. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I have a problem. My wife does not like garlic. Oh. So since I had olives with garlic, she stayed away from me for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and stuff. Keeps but, away you know, vampires all- and wives. <laughs> that it, it works believe yeah. me it works uh so and that and i had that and then also from that uh, holistic practitioner she recommended that uh, instead of having sauerkraut which somebody had recommended i just right. have the sauerkraut juice oh yeah, yeah sure good one because that still contains all those good bacteria right. uh, from yeah. that fermentation and everything else without the fiber yeah without the fiber and so I went through and I had that. Of course, you know, the, the jar of, of uh, sauerkraut that I had, there was only, you know, not even a quarter cup in there. But I'm sure that mm. had plenty of, you know, I mean, we, we don't understand how much do you really need to be right. beneficial. Yeah, and, and stuff. Probably a teaspoon might have been enough for me. Yeah. So I, I might have had a quarter cup of the, the sauerkraut juice. Uh, but that's sort of how I started it out. Uh, and I, I did that. About nine o'clock in the morning, and I didn't eat again until two, three in the afternoon. So, what was the feeling of food re-entering your gut? Uh, there, there wasn't any big feeling to begin with. Uh, you know, there, there's something called this peristalsis, which is the, you know, the rhythmic movement of things through your, yeah. you know, through your digestive system. And I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't tell that that's started up. I've read other people who say, oh, I can feel it starting and, and right. so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, but I think the only issue that I had, and I think it was from the volume of food that I ate, mm. uh, you know, is that, uh, you know, things, it hurt for a little bit. It was almost like there was a constriction somewhere, mm. uh, you know, maybe going from my stomach into my small intestine or, you know, just thinking from timing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, sure. and, and that kind of hurt, you know, each time I ate for, you know, a, a couple of days that the pain would come, then it would subside and I'd mm. be fine for a few hours and I'd feel it come back again and, uh, and, and stuff. So I'm not sure exactly what that was. Mm. Uh, but that first day of course was Easter and, you know, thinking feasting on Easter and we had sure. ham and, and stuff. And I had that, that, uh, fatty dip, the yeah. you know, bacon, blue cheese and walnut dip oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and stuff. So I, I had some of that. I, and I uh, made up some of the, uh, fathead pizza crust just as breadsticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, actually I made it up. I, well, actually, then I melted some more mozzarella cheese on top of it. Because uh, why know, not? Oh, yeah. yeah. Why not? Because why not? Yeah. You know, because because I could have it. It was it was mostly cheese anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it you know but you know I I had some of those things and I think I might have just overdone it for what I really needed. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, you know it, it gets back to that uh, that old thing my father used to tell me many years ago. You know cats eat until they're full, uh, dogs eat until they burst. 
And <laughs> I, I, totally I got I'm, I'm a especially. dog. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a dog. So, so are you going to go to a, a a cycle now, like a feasting fasting cycle, like I'm doing? Uh, I'm considering it. Uh, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I was going to start yesterday after lunch. I had a business lunch with some people here in town. Mm-hmm. I was going to start after that, uh, but you know, somebody had mentioned out on the forums there there, there were a lot of people that supported me there on on my uh, thread on the forum. Yeah, uh, and there were a few people that uh, you know talked about. Well, after this long of a fast, you may want to wait and allow your body to get back into its normal mode again before you you know, yeah. go, uh, go out and do that. Uh, sure. and you know, with the way I was feeling with the pains and the aches and stuff I was having, uh, actually Thursday after lunch was, I thought, you know, I probably could have fasted again, but I'm going to wait until probably next week to start up with the feast and fasting cycling. And your feasting so far hasn't put on in any significant weight. Well, actually, uh, as of this morning, I'm up nine pounds. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but From still being, fast, down, yeah. being down, you know, 30, 34 or whatever it was and stuff like that, you know, gaining, I'm still down 25. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. I, you know, overall, I'm, I'm really not, you know, upset about it. Uh, I, I knew yeah. it was going to happen, but uh, again, there again, I'm, you know, eating like a dog right? Uh, <laughs> and stuff. So I, I'm eating too much, but I'm getting to the point now of where I don't have these, I want this and I want that. I want this, you know, it's not that mental game sure. of, you know, I want, I want, I want, yeah. uh, and stuff. It's just, hey, I, I, I grab something to eat that, you know, for, you know, a meal here or a meal there. And last night I wasn't going to eat at all. My wife says, well, are you going to come and sit down with me for dinner? Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that was her biggest complaint, you know, cause I, you know, I didn't sit down with her. I said, well, whenever I know you're eating, I will come in there and sit down with you. But yes. if I'm back in the office working and you're out here and you sit down and you decide to, you know, eat something and you don't tell me that you're eating, I don't know you're eating. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you know, it, it goes both ways. If you let me know that you're sitting down to eat, I will come out there and sit with you. That's not a problem. I'll have, you know, some broth, I'll have some coffee, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll have a meal together. Yeah, that's what I do. I, with Julie, she, she had a full meal tonight and I just sat and had a cup of green tea um, just to be sociable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I actually uh, went out, and uh, one of the things during the fast that you guys talked about a lot was the sous vide. Mm-hmm. And so I, I actually went out a couple of weeks ago and, and bought me a sous vide. And nice. so I, I, I made up a couple of uh, ribeye steaks uh, a few days ago. That was, my I think, my Monday treat. Uh, and, you know, there were about 8-ounce steaks, you know, maybe 8- to 10-ounce steaks. Uh, and I found I could only oh, yeah. eat about three-quarters of one. Uh, so I had some left over, and last night I just cut another one in half, and I seared it off in the pan with you know some with lots of butter and a little bit of garlic uh, and stuff. It was only about half of it, so maybe four ounces. And I sat down and ate that while my wife was eating her uh, rice and all that other stuff that she eats. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, I I don't I don't complain about her diet. She complains about mine all the time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but you know, she she had lost almost forty pounds. 15 years ago on Weight Watchers, and she's kept it off ever since. Yeah. Oh, good and on her. Every time, she, every time she goes to her doctor, the only problem she has is thyroid, uh, but the re- all the rest of her uh, blood things, you know, there, she has no issues with uh, glucose or lipids or anything else mm. and stuff. Nice. So it's it's one of those things of, well, you know, you know, she, you know, I think she might do better on this, but she's doing very well on her current diet. Yeah, okay. Her diet evidently suits her, and your diet evidently suits you. 
I, I think so. And I'm going, I'm going to see my doctor next week. I had blood tests drawn last Friday, the, you know, two days before I, I stopped my fast. So I'm going to see him next week and, uh, she's insisting to go along. And she told me that I have to keep my mouth shut because. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Well, in the past, when I went to my doctor, you know, he'd bring up the Framingham study, and I'd pull out sure. my iPad with this thing from the guy who ran the, you know, Framingham study, and he, he said <laughs> the, the more saturated fat, the more oils, the more this, the more that that somebody ate, the lower their cholesterol was and everything else. And, right. You know, so she says, you have to let him stop talking first, and then you can, you know, bring up your ideas. Right. Like, right. Okay. <laughs> so one thing you might want to be aware of, uh, we spoke to Dave Feldman last week, and you know he's got this protocol where if somebody fasts for three days before a blood draw, all of their lipids go high. I mean, their, their lipids go bad, their LDL goes up, their HDL goes down, uh, and their trigly- I think their triglycerides also go up a little bit as well. And then if they feast before a blood draw, they go all, all go to the good uh, direction the HDL goes up, LDL goes down, and triglycerides go down. So mm-hmm. um, you might want to watch out actually because you did this test three days before you finished your fast. They may all be high. That may not be a, an accurate reflection of exactly where you're at. Right, and I, I will mention that uh, to my doctor if if they are high mm. uh, and stuff. So I will mention that to my doctor. Actually, I had a blood draw done uh, the very first day of my fasting. Uh, and stuff. And actually, my HDL looked pretty good. My triglycerides were, you know, they had been 119 before, but they were up to like 190 or something. Uh, mm. You know, my my LDL is in, in total is, is you know, my doctor still wants to put me on a statin drug because they're a oh, little yeah. bit high. And it's like, no, I'm not going to take that. Yeah. But, right. uh, but you know, so I'm going to bring in that blood draw that I had done. Then I had him do this one. And if, if if there's problems with it, I will mention that. I'll give him the reference, give him the, you know, the link and stuff. Uh, yeah. he, he, he's young. He's willing to look, go out there and research it and mm. stuff. And he's been doing that. You know, he was, he was very upset when I first started going to him. And when I first lost 25 pounds that uh, October 2015, he says, well, what have you been doing and stuff? I said, <laughs> I said, well, I've been, you know, eating, you know, protein. I've been eating a lot of fat and stuff like that. Well, yeah. what kind of exercise do you do? Yeah. Well, yeah. I roll, I roll out of bed in the morning and I roll back in at night. <laughs> Yeah, two sit-ups a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so, I mean, as we've been going along, you know, I just continue to lose weight. My mm-hmm. my uh, my lipids get better. Last August, he looked at everything. He says, there's no reason for you to be on, you know, I got off my uh, high blood pressure and from, uh, stuff. I got off all the statins and mm-hmm. things uh, and, and stuff. So, you know, it's like, there's, you know, he took me, he, he's the one that said, Hey, you don't need to be on any of these drugs anymore. I should mention that there is a syndrome involved with people doing a long fast and then rapidly feeding afterwards. It's called refeeding syndrome. Yeah. And it's actually how Karen Carpenter, the singer died. Uh, she was anorexic and wasn't eating enough. And so, and they fed her in hospital and that refeeding syndrome was what killed her. Uh, and it, it, it has to do with your electrolyte, electrolyte balance as your gut is restarting. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure of the, of the, of the, of the particulars, but what I heard, Richard, is it draws too many electrolytes out of your system. Uh, too quickly, and then okay. essentially it's same same thing that happens if you don't have enough electrolytes. You basically have a, a right. depletion of them rapidly. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so that's one of the reasons why they start say to start off slowly. So uh, I would suggest anybody who is listening who is thinking about doing a long fast, like longer than uh, five or seven days, um, to talk to your doctor before you do it and uh, ask their advice about the process of finishing at the end and do what Ron did, which is do a lot of research, understand a little bit more about uh, the process and um, forewarned is forearmed for this kind of thing. Yep. So just be aware of what's going to happen through the the fasting process yep. um, and maybe go online in the ketogenic forums and, and ask other people who've done fast before. I did I did visit my doctor when I first started the diet uh, or first started the fast. Sure. Uh, and, and he says, well, after your history with all the stuff that you've done, he says, you know, you're, you're in perfect health. You know, go for it. it you know, if, if you don't feel good, stop. Yeah. That's exactly the best advice. And in fact, I think my longest fast was 10 days. And on just before the, the, the 10 days were up, I just started to feel not quite right. And we were speaking to Dave last week and he did a fast for, he was going to do for three days. And after two days, he felt not quite right. And that's when he stopped. So yeah. uh, that's the thing, you know, understand how your body works, listen to it, and it'll tell you when it's, when it's, when it's time to finish. Sure will. I, I I had chills during most of the fast, but uh, I just kept upping my salt and stuff, and it helped. But I was still kind of nice. cold. I had to throw an extra blanket on the bed at night, but yeah. I made I made it through. That was the only issue I had. Well done. Thank you for telling your story, and thanks for sharing it with us on the forum day by day. It was really amazing to watch, and you you make it uh, easy for the rest of us and to give us to get us inspired to uh, to do it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for creating the forums where we could uh, you know, post things out there. It's our pleasure. You're welcome. All right. We'll see you out there. All righty. Thanks. Wow, that was awesome. And Ron's amazing. And uh, I hope you all get a chance to go look at his detailed uh, journey in, in the ketogenic yeah. forums, which we'll link to. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's make some <laughs> recipes. Recipes. <laughs> so what do you got for us, Cal? All right. Well, I found this somewhere. I can't remember. Somebody posted it uh, maybe in the forum, maybe on Slack. I'm not sure. Mm. But it was uh, from I Breathe, I'm Hungry. They do good recipes. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a fettuccine Alfredo. Which, when mm. I think about pasta, I don't think of keto, you know? No. <laughs> but this person was on an egg fast, and so they tried to make a pasta, you know, facsimile. Right. A reasonable facsimile. Yep. That uh, was ketogenic. Yeah. And so they made it out of eggs and cream cheese. Nice. I actually tried it mm -hmm. before I came on the show today, about a couple hours ago. Okay. I, I actually made this. And um, I have a couple of comments on it, but let me just tell you first how to make it. You take two eggs, an ounce of cream cheese, pinch of salt, pinch of garlic powder, pinch of black pepper, put it in a magic bullet, whiz it all up together. Nice. All right? Yeah. You pour that into a butter-greased 8x8 eight eight pan. Mm -hmm. You bake it at 325 Fahrenheit or 163 Celsius yep. for eight minutes or until just set. I found that it only took like three or four minutes. Okay. But, all right. But you were checking to see when it was set, right? Yes. Yeah, cool. Yep. So now using a spatula, you gently release the sheet of pasta from the pan, mm. and you can either roll it up and slice it with a knife into 
eighth inch thick slices, or you could see pizza cutter or, you know, just slice very carefully slice each one. If you can roll it up without having it break on you, that's great. Mm. Now for the sauce, I mean, Alfredo sauce is so easy. Yeah. You get some cheese, <laughs> you get some Parmesan, you get some butter, you put it in there. Now they're yeah. saying use an ounce of mascarpone. Right. But if you don't have mascarpone, you can use- You can use uh, cream cheese. Cream yeah. cheese and, and heavy cream, although they mention that heavy cream isn't good on an egg fast, right? Right. But whatever. Mm -hmm. And a little Parmesan cheese, a little butter- and uh, you basically combine that in a small bowl. You can microwave it for like 30 seconds or whisk it. I did it on a stovetop. And uh, you just basically toss those noodles mm. in that uh, in that cheese sauce and you've got it. Nice. And they're going to have a flavor of egg and cream cheese anyway. So they probably don't need to pick up a lot of flavor the way regular pasta does. The regular pasta tastes awful if you don't have the sauce with it. But uh these are going to taste great. Yeah, they actually do taste great. I was really surprised at how much I liked it, mm. you know? And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be like an omelet in a bowl, you know? <laughs> right. But I was really surprised at how much I really liked it. And um, mm. yeah, it, it is eggy and it falls apart easily, but but it tastes really good. So here are the things that I did wrong. Don't do this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on a big cookie sheet. And in my oven, it's not even, and the cookie sheet wasn't even, and it all just sort of coagulated in the corner. Oh, no. Oh, also, no. I used some cream cheese that wasn't softened first, and it just turned into- Clumps. Shards. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It just didn't work. Yeah. So I think if I had to do it over again, I would first melt the cream cheese- Okay. And slowly add the eggs into it. Right. Uh, and, you know, maybe- not let it cook or anything, but mm. slowly whisk that all together, then put it in a magic bullet uh, or or simply just whisk it right. to combine it. So, uh, you know, if you if you don't do as I did, uh, you'll probably get much better pasta out of it. But uh, I think this is good and I'm going to come back to it again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying it actually. When I'm over this fast, I think I might uh, have to try yeah. that uh Oh, the other thing I did was I put a little fresh garlic in the in the uh, of course. Alfredo sauce. Yep. <laughs> of course. Yeah. All right. So what do you got, buddy? So I've got a Zorn candy. This is from Brenda Zorn. And these are candies that she has often after a meal. And it's just yeah. a small morsel uh, of mostly fat, something slightly sweet um, for the end of the meal. And in this case, these are only one carb each. And she has like five carbs a day. So... Yeah. Um, she's well able to fit within her ketogenic budget. Yeah. So these are chocolate-covered coconut. Ah. And she, what she does is she starts off with half a cup of desiccated coconut. That's dried coconut pulp. And she adds a couple of tablespoons of cream to that and mixes it up until it's a very thick mixture. Yeah. And then she adds some truvia, which is a sweetener, to taste. So basically trying to make a, a sweet sort of, I guess it's like maybe a marzipani kind of, of texture. Yeah, kind of like the inside of a, a mounds bar. That's exactly. They, well, these are pretty much keto mounds bars that she's making, but yeah. they're very small mouthful, so you're not having an entire bar full. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so what she does is she, she then takes this mixture and gets a teaspoon and puts it, drops it one at a time onto wax paper. And freezes it. So she's making little balls of this okay. onto wax paper on a tray, put it in the freezer, freeze it solid. And the reason you want to freeze it solid is because she's going to cover it with melted chocolate. Right. 
and when it's frozen, it's going to it's going to solidify the chocolate a lot quicker, and it's not yes. going to fall apart inside. So, yeah. what she does to make the chocolate mix, uh, and this is really a simple recipe, she takes ninety yeah. percent cocoa chocolate, and she takes a bar of that with equal parts of coconut oil, so equal parts of 90% chocolate and coconut oil, a little bit of vanilla extract and some Truvia, and she melts them in um, – she probably melts them in the microwave, maybe uh, mm. 30 seconds at a time and and stirring every now and then until it's nice and, and mixed. Um, okay. This is not perfectly tempered to- chocolate, but this is a really quick way to get enough chocolate to be able to, to cover something to be able to, to make a, yeah. a, a, yeah, a little yeah. chocolate morsel. And I what do she the does- same thing with heavy cream, you know, just heavy cream until it's thick enough. Right. Or thin enough to mix. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, she, what she does is she takes the coconut balls out of the freezer, dips them into the melted chocolate, freezes them again, and that's it. That's the meal. Probably keep them in the fridge. They, they can last for quite a while. The thing is that these will melt in the hand, unlike regular chocolates. Uh, regular commercial mm. chocolates you can you know, keep out on the counter. Right. These you're going to have to keep in the fridge. But uh, in terms of a really quick and easy way to make something to to keep the kids happy, something mm-hmm. sweet to end, end a meal, maybe even a fat bomb if you're, uh, if you're uh, down to your ideal weight and just need a way to yeah. quickly add some fat to your meal, this sure. is one easy and sweet way to do it. That's awesome, Richard. And, you know, you could combine the coconut part of this with your tempered chocolate, which you've got sure. uh, on your blog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a lot of hard work. that's a lot of hard work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Randy won't be doing this one. No, nah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a show. Yeah, that's definitely a show, Richard. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join our forum, it's ketogenicforums.com or forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And now you can join the 2KetoDudes fan club. Go to 2KetoDudes.com, click on the fan club button, and answer a few questions. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, hit the donate button on our website at www.2KetoDudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see our podcast and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a great review on iTunes. Yeah. Well, keep calm and keto on, Richard. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right. And we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.